2 Corinthians chapter 4, as this morning, this is our third sermon in our series called Contentment for Christmas. And today, we are going to address how to learn contentment in the midst of suffering. How to learn contentment in the midst of suffering. Jerry Bridges, in his book, Respectable Sins, he offers up this prayer at the end of his chapter on discontentment. He writes, Lord, I am willing to receive what you give, lack what you withhold, and relinquish what you take. And this is a prayer that I've added to my uh, contentment card that I'm carrying around this month. Uh, This card's getting beat up a little bit. Uh, Might need to laminate it at some point. Uh, But some of you are joining with me on, on, on committing to some certain things this month in order to help us learn contentment. And I added that prayer to the card because this is a prayer that really you can only pray when you are pursuing contentment. But it's a prayer that I want to be able to pray. It's a prayer that, that I want you all to be able to, to pray, to be able to say, Lord, I am willing to receive what you give, to lack what you withhold, and relinquish what you take. To be able to pray that prayer, you've got to pray that with a heart that is pursuing a deep satisfaction with the will of of God, which is how we are defining contentment this month, a deep satisfaction with the will of God. Lord, I am willing to receive what you give, lack what you withhold, and relinquish what you take. I wonder, is this, is this a prayer that you could pray this morning? Are you believing and trusting in God's sovereignty, God's wisdom, and God's goodness enough to be able to pray this prayer, not only in times of comfort and ease, but also in seasons of suffering? Lord, I am willing to receive what you give, lack what you withhold, and relinquish what you take. This morning, we're going to see that you can only learn to be deeply satisfied with the will of God when you are continually satisfied by the love of God. And the powerful love of God is displayed and dispensed many times through suffering. Through suffering. So this morning, we're going to learn to be deeply satisfied with the will of God. We will need to be continually satisfied with the love of God. And the powerful love of God is displayed and dispensed many times through suffering, through suffering. So let's pray and ask for the Lord's help, because I don't necessarily like that, what I just said. Father, we do need your help today as we need it every day. But Lord, there's some truth here in your word that we don't, we don't necessarily always like. It's hard for us to accept. And yet, Lord, we know by believing and trusting in you and your ways that you will bring a great peace and contentment to our hearts 
And so we ask for your help. We ask that, that, that your light would shine forth today, even through a, a weak, imperfect sermon, and even through a weak and imperfect worship service. We ask, Lord, that, the, that your light would shine forth, that your power would be made known in the midst of our weaknesses. And so may we have our eyes fixed on you this morning. May your word stir up in us a greater love for you and for one another. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Well, look with me now at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. God's word says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. So let's stop right there for a moment. What is this treasure that we have? And, and we looked at it actually in our, in our time of singing, because uh, if you're there in 2 Corinthians, just look back a few verses at verse 4 to find out what this treasure is. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing, what, are they, what is it he's keeping them from seeing? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Then look at verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts and given the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So now we get to verse 7, and it says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. So what's the treasure? The treasure that we have is that we've seen and received the gospel of the glory of Christ. Or an even shorter answer would simply be Jesus. Jesus. Our treasure is Jesus, the light of the world. We have him. We have this treasure. And because we have him, we have a treasure of infinite worth that we possess forever. This is what the Apostle Paul was tasked with preaching about, and he, he shares it even more clearly when he writes to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 3, verse 8, which we'll have up on the screen, he says, To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Now listen, this is important, and this is something we can easily lose sight of in the midst of suffering. We know this, but we forget this. Whatever degree of suffering you are experiencing in life, whether great or small, for those of you who are trusting Christ, the treasure you have will always be greater than the suffering you have. In Christ, the treasure you have will always be greater than the suffering you have. And I can say that with full confidence, not because I, I know the depth of your suffering. I mean, I know, I know for many of you, I know some of your past, I know some of the suffering you've gone through, I know some of the suffering you're going through right now. But I acknowledge I don't know the full extent of everyone's suffering in here. I don't. And I'm not trying to belittle the suffering or the affliction that many of you have gone through and have experienced. Not trying to belittle that. 
but I do want to shine light on the good news of the unsearchable riches of Christ. The riches you have in Christ are unsearchable, and you will have from now until eternity to continue searching and finding out the depths of this treasure that you have. Now contrast that to your suffering, which has limits. Your suffering is is somewhat limited, and it's always temporary. Even if you have suffered from the day you were born until the day you died, that would be very sad. I would be grieved over that if that was the case for you. But even in that case, even in that type of horrible suffering, that type of suffering has limits, and it's temporary. Whereas the treasure you have in Christ is unsearchable and eternal. And so therefore, I can say with full confidence, not knowing the depth of your suffering, I know the treasure you have in Christ is always greater than the suffering you have. And so you remember that prayer from the beginning, Lord, I am willing to receive what you give, to lack what you withhold, and to relinquish what you take. Let me tell you, that becomes a little more realistic to pray when you know you're sitting on a treasure that you're going to possess forever. But now look at 2 Corinthians 4 and see what God puts this treasure in. But we have this treasure in Jars of clay. Jars of clay. Now, jars of clay, I'm also going to use the term clay pots. I'm going to substitute out clay pots for jars of clay, and it's not because I think jars of clay is a bad translation. I just get distracted by the phrase jars of clay because of the band. For those of you that had listened to jars of clay, when I hear jars of clay, I can't help but think, Rain, rain on my face. (laughs) You know, you know. Hasn't stopped raining for days. And now that song's going to be stuck in your head. And uh, that might be all you take away from this morning's sermon. But if you do, at least you link jars of clay back to this scripture and you could maybe tie it in a little bit. So I'm not going to use jars of clay because I'm going to, I would just keep going down that route. But instead, I'm going to say clay pots, clay pots, okay? That, that keeps me from uh, getting as uh, distracted. So clay pots, clay pots, was a common metaphor used in the ancient world for human weakness and suffering. Human weakness and suffering. Clay pots were a very common item in the households of common people. It would be as like Tupperware in your house or Ziploc baggies, okay? Very common items to have in the house. Wealthy people might have had more expensive jars uh, and pots around their houses, but ordinary people, they had clay pots. And these clay pots, they were somewhat fragile. They'd get, they'd get chipped and cracked fairly easily. There was an element of weakness to these clay pots compared to other materials that were used. Uh, There was an element of suffering they endured because they weren't the fine china. They weren't the things that just got used one day a year. These were like the everyday normal tasks of life. These, These clay pots get their bumps and bruises and cracks from wear and tear of normal life. Clay pots. So we have this treasure, Christ, And God puts this treasure into clay pots. 
in human beings who are weak and somewhat fragile, who suffer some bumps and bruises and have their fair share of scars and stories to tell and cracks all around them. And why would God do it like that? Like, that seems strange. Doesn't that seem strange that God would do it this way? It's not how we would do it. I mean, where do you guys put your treasure? Yeah, most of you, you don't even want to tell me because you're like, I'm not, I, I see this trap. He's trying to know where my treasure is, okay? I'm not telling you where I buried it, all right? Listen, I'm not trying to trick any of you, okay? Where do we put our treasures? Where do we put our treasures? A safe? Yes, yes. Uh, the bank, a vault, we, maybe we bury it somewhere and we leave clues for our grandkids to find someday. Uh, you know, we, we, we don't put it in the Tupperware. We don't put it in the common clay pot that gets used. We don't get in, in such a weak, breakable vessel. And yet God has given this treasure of eternal worth, and he has put it in us, even though we are weak and we suffer bumps and bruises and cracks. Why would God do this? Well, we don't have to speculate too much. We can just keep reading the verse, all right? Look back at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You see, Paul's suffering was a platform that God in his, witness, in his wisdom chose to use to display and dispense his saving and sanctifying power to the world. We, we live in an age, we live in a time in, of, of history in this, in this life where God right now, for in all his wisdom and goodness, I don't understand all the reasons why, but God right now is allowing suffering and God is using suffering and God is turning even the suffering that was intended for evil by the enemy and he's turning it for our good and our glory and he's got his good and wise and sovereign purposes for that as this suffering is creating now a platform Form for God to display and dispense his saving and sanctifying power to the world. And the psalmist had learned this when he wrote Psalm 119.71. He wrote, it is good for me that I was afflicted. How often can we say that? It is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. Church, God knows the condition of our hearts better than we do. And there is something about our hearts. There is something about living in a fallen world with the presence of sin, with the propensity that we have to rebel against God, that if suffering didn't exist, if God didn't allow it, be honest enough with yourself to see that you probably would not seek after God in order to be satisfied by him. I mean, some of you, when you experience just a few successes in life with minimal setbacks, your pride and your arrogance just go through the roof. I mean, have you ever played Monopoly with someone who experiences a little bit of success 
And they all of a sudden forget God and they start thinking they're him just because they own Boardwalk and Park Place. We all have one, there's one in every family who gets like that, and it reminds us as to the condition of our heart, and that if there weren't setbacks in life, if all we experienced was success and ease and comfort, would we really find the ultimate treasure in life that God is trying to give us? Would we ultimately find our deep satisfaction in Him? Or I don't know about you, but for me, if if I never had setbacks, only had success, I know I would be running hard from the Lord. I would be forgetting the Lord and thinking that I am him. So we live in a time where it does seem, because of the condition of our hearts, that God in his wisdom and his goodness has allowed suffering to continue. Now, I'm not saying that I like that it is this way. I, as I said from the beginning, there, there are things about this sermon I don't necessarily like at first. I don't like that God is currently allowing suffering and using suffering to display his power and dispense his power But I do know and I do see that it is those who have minimal discomfort in life who are in the biggest danger of missing out on the powerful love and grace of God. And it is in understanding this and remembering this that will play a part in helping you learn to be content in the midst of suffering because you understand that this hardship, this affliction, this trial is another opportunity for God to display more of his powerful love and grace. Thomas uh, Watson, this isn't a quote that, that we'll have on the screen. It's just one that keeps coming back to my mind. Uh, in his book, The Art of Divine Contentment, Thomas Watson says something to the effect of that the waters of affliction help us swim faster to Christ. And that's just an image that I've had in my head all week, that these waters of affliction, they're helping us swim faster to Christ. They have not been sent to us to drown us or to sink us, but they've been sent to help us swim faster to Christ. Here's another quote from Johnny Erickson Tata, who is very qualified to speak on suffering. For those of you who don't know her story, when she's 17, she dives into shallow water and she becomes paralyzed from the neck down, and yet she has a deep love for Jesus. And she once said, God is a master artist, so without using blatant tricks or obvious gimmicks, God brings the cool, dark contrast of suffering into your life. That contrast laid up against the golden character of Christ within you will draw attention to him. Light against darkness, beauty against affliction, joy against sorrow, a sweet, patient spirit against pain and disappointment, major contrasts that have a way of attracting notice, You are the canvas on which he paints glorious truths, sharing beauty and inspiring others so that people might see him. 
Church, have you learned contentment and suffering like, like Johnny Erickson Tata has learned? Have you seen that your suffering can be used to display God's powerful love and grace to the world? I mean, isn't it so powerful to see someone enduring a hardship, enduring a season of suffering, and yet you're seeing in them, you're seeing them exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. You're seeing them uh, continually be satisfied with the love of God. You see them growing closer and closer to Christ in a season that is just hard and so difficult. I mean, doesn't that just give so much glory to God? Doesn't His light just shine even brighter in the darkness? And for those people who have learned to be content in the midst of suffering, it's as if they have found a table to feast with Christ at in the middle of the wilderness. And the light of Christ is just shining from them and lighting up the world. This truth was seen back in Judges 7 in the story of Gideon with his 300 men. God was going to give the the Midianites into Gideon's hand, but he didn't want Gideon's army to be too strong. He wanted a clay pot army. God wanted a clay pot army. And he says in Judges 7 verse 2, he says, The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. God desires to display and dispense his power, but he does that against the backdrop of human weakness and suffering. And so God keeps having Gideon send more people home and diminishes his army from roughly 30,000 to 300. And then get this, he takes the 300 and he has them each get a clay pot and put a torch in the clay pot. The Apostle Paul knew this story from Judges 7. He likely had this story in mind when he wrote to the Corinthians that we have this treasure in clay pots. Because what the 300 men did was when they went to war, they carried the torches of light in these clay pots, and then at the sound of the trumpet, they broke their clay pots. They cracked the pots, and the light of the torches shined through. And the enemy, upon seeing the light shining through these broken clay pots, the enemy is thrown into confusion, turning on themselves, and were easily defeated by 300 soldiers with 300 clay pots holding 300 sources of light shining through. You see, church, this is how God outwits the enemy of our souls. This is how God conquers the sin in our own hearts. The enemy believes if he can bring suffering upon the people of God, the enemy believes if he can do that, that that will be the platform they need to curse God and die like Job's discontented wife wanted him to do. But if someone is content in Christ, if someone is satisfied with the treasure they have that they're sitting on, then suffering even at the hands of the enemy provides for them a platform for the powerful love and grace of God to be displayed. The more the clay pots are broken, the more the light of the world shines through. God is a 
master artist and he's a master commander of war who is sovereign, wise, and good, who through suffering and brokenness shines more of his light into the world and into our lives. Isn't this the good news of the cross of Christ? Wasn't it against the backdrop of suffering and evil? I mean, think about the cross of Christ. Think about something we sing about every week, something we praise God for every week. Wasn't it against the backdrop of suffering? Wasn't it against the backdrop of the evil intent of the devil and of men that God shined the light of the glory of Christ? We're discontent with suffering, and yet it was suffering that's part of the best news we've ever had in the world. You see the powerful love of God that was displayed and dispensed to you through the suffering of Christ? Oh, church, this is how we can be continually satisfied with the love of God because we look at the sufferings of Christ and we think, what kind of love is this? that he would lay his life down for me. That he would extend forgiveness even to those who are inflicting pain on him, who bore my sins and took the pain and death that was meant for me. Oh, see the love of God displayed for you through the suffering of Christ. We can only learn contentment. We can only learn to be deeply satisfied with the will of God when we are continually being satisfied with the love of God. And I want to read to you from Psalm 90, verse 14. This is a psalm that we're going to sing together after the the sermon. It's a psalm that Moses wrote. And in verse 14, he says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Notice that, satisfy us in the morning, not once a month, not once a week. This is getting at a continual, being, a continually being satisfied every day. As often as the sun comes up, you're being satisfied with the steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Verse 15, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. And for as many years as we have seen evil, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Church, a season of suffering, a season of suffering is no excuse to not be satisfied with the steadfast love of God. It is actually an invitation to be satisfied with the steadfast love of God. It's one of God's ways of getting your attention and calling out to you in a loud, booming voice. C.S. Lewis, he once wrote, God whispers to us in our health and prosperity, but being hard of hearing, we fail to hear God's voice in both. 
whereupon God turns up the amplifier by means of suffering, then his voice booms. You see, because Christ gave up his body to be completely broken and crushed for us, now by faith in him, his light can shine through us, and it shines brightest through us, not through our strengths, but through our weaknesses, through our bumps and bruises, through our cracks, through our, through our suffering, through our affliction. When we learn to be content in suffering, then we will be able to say, as Paul can say in verse 8, look back now at 2 Corinthians 4. When we learn to be content in our suffering, then we can say some of the things that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Being afflicted is a part of life and a part of the Christian life. And anyone who sold you on a gospel that said life was just going to be easy and there will be abundance of health and wealth all of your days, you got sold a, a false gospel. We are afflicted still in every way. To be afflicted means to be brought into difficulties or suffering. That's affliction. To be crushed means to be in such a distressing situation that you feel like there's no hope. And you see, two people can experience the same circumstance. One can be content and the other is discontent in it. The content person feels afflicted and acknowledges they feel afflicted, but the discontent person feels crushed. Crushed, like there's no hope. There's no hope. But we can feel afflicted church when we are content in christ though we are not crushed one of the things that's sort of been humorous as i talk to you after these sermons on contentment i feel a sense that everyone's afraid to share with me of anything real in life that might be hard uh i know some of you have had hard weeks and uh you start to share that and then you're like but you know i'm content i'm happy i'm good we're just gonna and, uh, and we've had some awkward conversations. So listen, it's okay to, if you had a difficult week, you can still share, I've had a difficult week. That's not complaining or grumbling against God. I mean, only you know when your heart turns to complaining and grumbling against God. But if you've had a difficult week, you can share, I've had a difficult week. We are afflicted at times, church. But when we can be content in Christ, we learn to not be crushed in those things. Afflicted, but not crushed. I think of, uh, I believe it was Thomas Watson again. Again, the quote's not on the screen. Wasn't planning on sharing it, but here we go. Uh, he said something to the effect of, it's not the water outside of the boat that sinks it. It's the water that creeps in the cracks. And he applies that to discontentment, saying discontentment actually allows the troubles out there to now get in here in our heart, and that's what sinks us. Two people can be sailing through waters of affliction. One has kept the water on the outside because they're content. The other, through discontentment, has let the water in. And so it's not the troubles out there that sink you. It's when your discontentment allows them to get in here in your heart that it crushes you and sinks you. We can be afflicted but not crushed. 
He goes on in verse 8, perplexed but not driven to despair. Perplexed means to be confused and not fully understanding the circumstances or why God is doing this. And so let me, let me, let, let us, I'm going to give you permission here. It is okay to be, you can still be content and be confused. This is good news. God, I'm confused about this. I'm perplexed. I don't, I don't fully understand what you're doing here. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Verse 9, persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Church, you see, we have this treasure in clay pots, and the treasure that we have is Jesus Christ. We have been united to him. His story has become our story, and therefore there are things in us that do need to die in our life. There are things that do need to die in our heart so that new, the new life we have in Christ can shine forth through us. And so my question for you is, what have you been putting on display in the midst of your suffering? We've said suffering is a platform for God to display and dispense his power and his love and his grace. What have you been putting on display in the midst of your suffering? Has it been you or has it been God? Have you used your suffering to make things more about you? Or have you allowed God to use your suffering to make things more about him? Has your weakness and your suffering been a platform for God to display and dispense his powerful love and grace? Or has it been a platform for your self-pity and pride to have an excuse to go wild for a while? God intends to use our weakness and suffering for his glory and our good for his light to shine brighter in and through us, for the waters of affliction to help us swim faster to Christ. But there are ways, church, that we can sabotage our suffering. The Israelites did not need to wander in the desert as long as they did. But they were discontent, and they grumbled against God, and Psalm, 98, uh, Psalm excuse me, 78, 19 summarizes their complaint against God very nicely up on the screen. It says, they spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? You see, a discontented person, a person who does not have eyes of faith to see how God is using a wilderness season in their life, they complain against God and question with an unbelieving heart, can God really spread a table in the wilderness? The Israelites didn't believe that God had the power to provide a feast for them in the wilderness. Whereas someone who is content and who is living by faith sees that even though they might be in a wilderness season, and yes, they know where God is leading them to one day in the end, the promised land that awaits them, a contented person also believes and knows that even in the wilderness, God can provide bread 
and meat and even water from a rock. We've seen it before. And so do you believe that God can spread a table for you even in the wilderness? Trust me, he can. He can. But if you don't believe that, you're probably going to sabotage your suffering and you're probably going to extend your wilderness season so that he can show you his power. That, in fact, he can spread a table for you in the wilderness. You see, a lot of suffering comes to us by factors that are outside of our control, but some of our suffering is self-inflicted suffering. Some of our suffering is from us sabotaging the sanctifying effects of the suffering that God has brought. And so I want to I give you a, a few ways that we sabotage our suffering. The first way that we sabotage our suffering is when we hide our unbelief and discontentment with God behind the difficulties of our circumstances. Okay? We sabotage our suffering when we hide our unbelief and discontentment with God behind the difficulties of our circumstances. What I mean is this is, this is when we've experienced great suffering, a great difficulty, and we hold that up for, for all, to our, all our brothers and sisters to see. And anytime anyone points out that they are concerned with unbelief or discontentment or sin in our heart, we, we hide those things and we point people back to the suffering and say, no, look at how bad this was, though, that I went through. Look at what I went through. And, and we, we fixate on the suffering and we hide all the things that God intended to sanctify through the suffering. We hide all that behind our suffering so that it never gets dealt with. And we sabotage the sanctifying effects of our suffering. Second way that we sabotage our suffering is when we fail to realize that every season and circumstance of life has both its blessings and its difficulties. Every season and circumstance of life have, has both its blessings and its, circ, uh, and its uh, difficulties. Admittedly, in varying degrees. But typically what we do is we compare our current difficulties with someone else's blessings and we grow discontent and then we covet what God has given someone else. We covet the season of life someone else is in. We covet the season, even maybe our past season of life, thinking back to the good old days. And as opposed to being willing to receive what God gives, to lack what he withholds, and to relinquish what he takes, we sabotage our current season by being discontent and wanting what he's given to others, wanting what he hasn't given to us, and despairing what he has taken from us. And so this is what is happening if you are a person that constantly looks into your past and wishes to go back. Or if you're constantly looking at other people's lives and wanting to go into their lives. When you look at your own past, there are two different ways to do that. Some of us only remember the blessings of the past, and we think of it as the good old days. But we forget all the difficulties that were a part of it as well. Or some of us look at the past, and we only think about the difficulties. We can't get over the difficulties. 
We won't move past the difficulties because we can't see even any of the blessings that were in there. I've heard it said that a discontented person fears the future, despairs of the present, and incorrectly remembers the past. This is a sign of a discontented heart. Someone who fears the future, despairs of the present, and incorrectly remembers the past, all because they cannot be content with the fact that in every season and circumstance of life, there are both blessings and difficulties in varying degrees. And therefore, we covet everyone else's past, present, and future because we fail to realize that every person, every season of life has a mix of both blessings and difficulties if we will look and see them. Third way that we sabotage our suffering is when we become prideful about our sin and suffering. This is a temptation for some people. It's almost as if, especially if you've been in a long season of suffering, it's almost as if you can be tempted to start to find your identity with that suffering. We feel like it makes us unique. It, makes, it sets us apart from everyone else. No one has suffered the way I have suffered. This is what identifies who I am and makes me distinct from everyone else. These are people who start to see their identity and worth in the unique cracks and distortions of their pot instead of the treasure that's inside. This is someone who wrongly thinks that no one else can relate to what they're going through just because they haven't gone through the exact same thing. And they subconsciously rank their suffering with the suffering of others and believe that they come out on top. They win. You didn't even know you were playing a game, but you won it. And so church, listen, if your suffering is producing pride and not humility, you are sabotaging the sanctifying effects of your suffering. And you need to hear this morning that your suffering, it is clay pot suffering. And I say that in love not to belittle anyone's circumstance or suffering I say that because I believe that will lead you to truth and joy and peace. That you would not grow prideful in your suffering. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. We don't like to be common. We don't like that we're clay pots. We, 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 I mean, again, you work through that a little bit and realize you've got a treasure inside of you. There, you are, there is a specialness and a uniqueness about it, but we don't like this whole clay pot metaphor thing. But listen, there is no temptation in either your blessings or your difficulties that is not common to man. So don't become prideful about it. Don't look down upon others who could actually help you, but you ignore them just because you think you're more experienced in suffering than they are. Let your suffering humble you and realize that even if someone can't exactly relate to your circumstance, they have felt some degree of suffering and loss and affliction in their life. And they have found a way to be content in Christ in the midst of it all. You go meet with those people 
You don't need to meet with people who've been exact, through the exact same thing you've been through. You need to meet with people who have felt the pressure and the affliction and the pain of life and yet have also found joy and contentment and peace in Christ. Spend time with those people even if they have a different story than your story. Don't sabotage your suffering. Final way that we sabotage our suffering is when we focus more on what we can't control than on what we can Oh, don't we waste so much energy worrying about whether or not God is doing his job that we totally miss out on doing ours. I mean, we're some, some of us are so concerned that God's not doing this the right way. We, we, we spend so much thoughts, we, we have so many sleepless nights just worried that God's not going to do the wise and good thing in this situation. Let us not waste energy being concerned about whether or not God is doing his job. Church, he is. And one day, it will be more clear to us. And so here's instead what you need to set your mind on in the midst of suffering. I do want to give you some very just practical, on the ground, go do this today, later today if you're in the, a season of suffering or you're in the midst of a difficulty. These are the things we need to be setting our minds on. First thing to do in the midst of suffering, if you're trying to learn contentment, first thing to do is to weigh your sins with your sufferings. Get, get a scale in your head. If you need an actual physical scale, I guess that's fine too, but get a scale in your head and weigh your sins and your sufferings and see which one you have more of. Because when done honestly and when done with the help of the Spirit, you will eventually see that your sin is greater than your suffering. And then once you understand which of those you have more of, which of those is the bigger problem in your life, it will help you focus more of your attention where it mainly needs to be, on confessing, repenting, and receiving forgiveness for the sin that is still in your heart and allowing Jesus to sanctify it and trusting God when he will end the season of suffering. You see, when we don't weigh our sin and our suffering, we think all of our energies need to be applied towards ending the suffering. But when we can be content, we can trust God on when he's going to end the suffering, and we can instead focus on confessing, repenting, and turning from our sin. Weigh your sins with your sufferings. After you've done that, that weighing, then weigh a couple other things. Then weigh your sufferings with the sufferings of Christ. Yes, we all do suffer at times. We experience some loving discipline from the Lord at times. We experience some attacks from evil spiritual entities at times. We experience hurt from other people at times. But listen, we do not experience the full weight of the wrath of God being poured out on us like Christ experienced for us. Oh, see the love of God that was displayed for you on the cross, that you may be satisfied by that love even in the midst of suffering. Christ suffered for you, and he now, in the midst of your suffering, sets a table for you in the wilderness to come and be refreshed and satisfied by him. 
He does not make us wait to get to the promised land before we can enjoy a feast with him. He prepares a table in the wilderness for us. Weigh your sufferings with the sufferings of Christ and watch how you will be satisfied by the love of God. And then finally, weigh the mercies that God has shown you with your sufferings. Spoiler alert, the mercies he has shown you are greater. (laughs) But remember from last week, part of godliness is an awareness that God owns it all, provides it all, and, uh, and is worth it all, and we are stewards of what he's entrusted to us. And so besides this treasure that we have forever, the treasure is Christ, we possess this forever, besides that, most of the mercies that he then gives us in life, he entrusts to us for a season. This will be my last, uh, well, I won't commit to that. Probably my last Thomas Watson quote up on the screen this morning. He says, mercies are not entailed on us, but lent to us. Whatever a man lends, he can call for again whenever he pleases. God has given a child to you for a while to nurse. Will you be angry if he takes his child home again? Oh, do not be discontent that a mercy is taken away from you but rather be thankful that it was lent to you for so long. Change of perspective there that contentment brings. Has God given you good health right now? Praise God. That has been entrusted to you for a time. Do not be discontent when he takes that from you. Has God given you family right now? Praise God if he has. That has been entrusted to you for a time. Do not be discontent when they, he calls them home. Has God given you an abundance of resources right now? Praise God if he has. They've been entrusted to you for a time. Do not be discontent when he gives them to someone else. Church, God has given you a treasure that is your possession forever, and his name is Jesus. And in Christ, the treasure you have is always greater than the suffering you have. And so don't sabotage the sanctifying effects of suffering, for God intends to use our weakness and suffering for his glory and our good, for his light to shine brighter in and through us, for the waters of affliction to help us swim faster to Christ. And so this doesn't mean that we can't ask God to remove a difficulty from our life, This doesn't mean that we can't ask for a season of suffering to come to an end, but it does mean that we trust that God can satisfy us even in the midst of suffering, that God can set a table for us in the wilderness. Flip over to 2 Corinthians 12. I'm closing with this. I'm not even going to comment on it, so we we are wrapping up. But Paul goes on later in this letter to the Corinthians, and he says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ 
may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Church, you can only learn to be deeply satisfied with the will of God when you are continually satisfied and sustained by the powerful love and grace of God. And the power of God is displayed and dispensed through suffering. Let's pray.